Kids don't do what you say, they do what they see. How you live your life is their example. Tim Ferriss. Just a good old boy, trying to be a good old man, out here learning on the fly, trying to do the best I can. Hello and welcome to the Faithful Fatherhood Podcast. Excited to be with you guys today. I'm Brett Etheridge, co-host of the podcast, joined as always by Perry Hughes. Perry, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic, brother. Hope you are. We uh, did some traveling yesterday, came back from the coast, uh, Little River, and drove home to the metropolis of Rutherfordton. And uh, I got to say, it feels good to be home, my friend. Yeah, I bet it does. It's always it's always good to travel, but it's always good to get home for a little while. But then you guys are going to get back on the road somewhat soon again, right? Yeah. So probably I would say within a week, maybe 10 days, we're packing up. We're doing some final preparations and provisions and packing up some dirt bikes into a big old fifth wheel camper and going to drive across the country and show the kids a little bit of a, of America. We're pretty excited. It's going to be fun. Cool. And hopefully you've been taking care of your health and the health of That's your right. kids. And actually this, this already raises a question that I will have for our guest today, Dr. Kramer. Dr. Kramer, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Brett. I appreciate it. We're going to pick up really as kind of part two of the series we've been doing on health. So if you listen to the last episode, we talked a lot about personal health, how to take care of ourselves as fathers so that we can show up the best we can for our families. But in this episode, we want to follow on that and talk about really what is our role in equipping health in our kids. And so we've invited Dr. Kramer to to weigh in on that. And so the question I already have stirring that I'll kind of pre-prompt right now is how do you how do you help your kids and yourself stay healthy when you're traveling all the time, right? How do we avoid the fast food? So I'm curious, Perry, how you and your family are handling that when you're literally on the road, literally yeah. on the road, but also just back and forth and traveling. And sometimes it's hard to stay in a, a good rhythm and routine of diet and yeah. exercise and all of that. But I'm getting ahead of ourselves. I'll actually let you <laughs> introduce your friend, Dr. Kramer. And then believe me, I've got a bunch of questions as we try to unpack really what's our role as fathers in stewarding the health of our kids. Yeah, so we're super excited to have my dear friend, Dr. Matthew Kramer, here on the show today. Uh, I might call him Kramer every now and then, but uh, just because we're we're good friends, and uh, but that's just a symbol of our closeness. But I'll try to remember to to throw the doctor in in front of there today as we chat, brother. Uh, but we're super happy to have you. So, uh, Dr. Kramer and I go go back a ways. His um, kids have come to our gymnastics and ninja facility for a while. And we got to know each other just from uh, being in a small town together, being in community together. And um, he is a husband and a father. He's a Christ follower and he's a doctor, but uh, he's also very much a servant of the community. He's got a, a very compassionate and loving heart to serve the community that we live in, as well as really the world. They, uh, Dr. Kramer's done missions abroad and all kinds of things. So he is a uh, fantastic human being and a, and a dear friend of mine. So we're really glad that you're uh, on the show today, brother. Thank you for giving us your time. Um, but quickly, as we kind of get started, I'd love to jump into two things. One is uh, just to do a uh, I'll do kind of a quick opening to the idea that you are a doctor of osteopathic medicine, which is maybe the listeners don't know there's a difference between uh, an MD and a DO, and we had an ND on the show last week. So there's all these different kinds of doctors, but in a nutshell, 
uh, a DO is going to be focused kind of really on a whole person approach to medicine. Um, and, and DOs are complete physicians and Dr. Kramer has a family practice, um, but, you know, can prescribe, can do surgery and all that kind of stuff. But as we jump in, uh, brother, tell us, did you always want to be a doctor? Very, yeah, that's a good question. And and in reference to Kramer, I went by Kramer all through childhood because okay. every class had three or four Matthews in it. So uh, I just went by Kramer. So it, it's very natural for me. Um, you know, that's funny. Uh, believe it or not, what I've always wanted to be and still do to this day is a farmer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but growing up in Wyoming, uh, my dad was a construction worker. Uh, it just, you know, was never in the cards to go down that path. Um, and I've always loved science and I love people. So medicine always made sense to me. Um, and I did take a circuitous route to being a physician. I was first a science teacher in high school for eight years and uh, taught all the all the different sciences and uh, mathematics as well in uh, both public and, and Christian schools. And then this this desire I had to be a physician started coming back onto my heart. And uh, as I looked into it more, that's actually when I discovered about osteopathic medicine. And uh, in, in real brief, an osteopathic physician, you know, we use the word doctor, but technically a doctor is anyone that has four years of training following a bachelor's. So you could be a doctor of archaeology or a doctor of anything. Uh, but when we use the word doctor, we tend to reference a physician. And in Western medicine, there are two philosophies for physicians. It's either doctor of osteopathy or medical doctor. And um, basically, a doctor of osteopathy, a DO, is uh, an MD plus chiropractic training plus massage therapy training. So, Cool. Uh, it fits in really well with family physician. However, um, osteopathic doctors have kind of filled in the niche of every specialty. You have DO neurosurgeons and DO, uh, you know, psychiatrists. So it, it fills every single niche. But I think the one that it fits the best is family physician. And it's what I've always wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And that's one of the reasons I'm excited about our show today because. Um, I'm sure there's a, a lot that you can contribute from both perspectives, from the father perspective and from the uh, doctor perspective. And so, you know, tell us a little bit about your family, and then uh, I think we'll we'll dive into some maybe some specific questions. Sure. So while I was a teacher, I uh, during the summers I worked at a uh, summer camp, uh, South Mountain Christian Camp uh, here in in Western North Carolina. And that's where I met my wife and, uh, Michelle, my wife, uh, her family founded the camp and, uh, we fell in love and, um, she worked, uh, about an hour and a half out of town here in, a in Charlotte, North Carolina. And we moved there and I became a, a teacher at a Christian school outside of that. And, we uh, it was during that time that I went to, you know, decided to go down the medical school route. And so when we went to medical school, 
you know, the whole time we had been married for about five years and we're just always like, we'll start a family later. We'll start a family later. And finally, I'm like, you know, sweetie, it is never going to be <laughs> easier. It's always going to be hard. Yeah. And uh, there's never a perfect time to start a family. So we started our family during medical school. Uh, right off the bat, had twin girls. Uh, and uh, Anna, Lisa, and Alden, they go by Anna and Allie. And uh, three years later, we ended up with uh, Amelia as well. So I have three girls. The twins are now 15. Amelia's 12. And uh, man, we are living life right now. <laughs> we should have you back on to do a whole episode on raising girls. Because I feel like for whatever reason, a lot of our guests and Perry and I both obviously are, are boy heavy in our own families. And so we need a little, little different perspective on raising girls here. So that's cool. Uh, let me start. Let, let's sort of frame the current state of health of our kids. I take my kids and drop them off at school and hear my kids talk about their friends and things that their friends are dealing with. And there is little doubt that the state of health of, of kids really in America today, but around the world as well is it's scary and it's, it's, it's not a good situation. You know, my, my boys are constantly telling me about all these medications that their friends are on and they're prescribed for this for ADD, ADHD, and this for depression and this for whatever. I'm like, these kids are like in elementary school. What are they on all these drugs for? And then and then just the eye test, they're all overweight. Most of them are overweight, right? You can just see that with your eyes. I know we have an obesity epidemic in this country, but it's even filtering down into our kids. The two-part question, the first question you know, I, I almost feel like I shouldn't ask it because it seems like the answer is so obvious, but I'm going to go ahead and ask it anyway, because it prompts my second question. And the question is very simply, do you think, do you believe that most parents genuinely do want what's best for their kids? Absolutely. There's no question to that. Yeah. So we want what's best for our kids. So the question is, if that's the desire of our heart, why do we see so many health issues in our kids? Is it, is it literally just a lack of education? We don't know what we don't know. Is it a lack of discipline? Is it a lack of implementation? Like what, where is the breakdown between wanting our kids to be healthy? I'm sure every parent would answer yes to that question. And yet that's not happening. You know, Brett, that's actually a really well-framed question. Um, and I would say, uh, backing up just a, a smidge, I feel like you're right. There are a lot of epidemics going on of uh, a lack of health, uh, obesity being a, a, a very easy one to point to because of its physical health, but mental health. There's a lot of areas where we're seeing in our own children a, a lack of health. However, we're also living in a period of time where our access to healthy food or um, a variety of food throughout the year has never been has never been experienced in all human history ever before. You know, go back a few hundred years and ask which person at any point in the calendar year could have fresh pomegranates or, you know, the access to food that we have today. I think it's easy to get kind of overwhelmed with a sense of negativity, but we live in such an unprecedented time that has incredible potential for health. 
But getting to the core of your question, I think it has to do with the fact that society has not caught up with the reality of where we are with our technologies and the changes that have happened in time. I think historically, you have to look at society needs time to digest something new. Like, for instance, the the development of the automobile. There, there's a period of time in order for a society to be able to digest that new technology. Um, whereas a societal time frame is different than a, a human being's lifespan time frame. They're they're not necessarily directly correlated with each other, and you can see some pushback by certain you know parts of our society here in the United States. We have uh, a group of people Amish. They happen to be moving into our area here. They've chosen as a community to slow down. Uh, taking in new technologies to allow their community to digest it in what they feel is a, is a healthier way. And there's, you know, I think that that's a, a significant extreme. However, um, I feel like with technologies such as, you know, the iPhone and social platforms, television, our, our access to entertainment has gone up exponentially. Our access to knowledge and information has gone up exponentially. And our brains are wired to just be wanting to feed this on a on, on a continual basis. There's, you know, when is it too much entertainment? When is it too much knowledge? Or when is it too much, you know, fill in the blank? And we haven't learned how to balance that in our daily life as a society yet, but I think on an individual basis, we can, and you mentioned the word discipline, we can discipline ourselves to balance that in our individual lives. And I think that's really at the crux of today's podcast is really how do we develop that balance? Well, connect those dots for me because it's interesting. I'm thinking about health and I'm thinking about um, fast food. I mean, fast food took off in the 60s. You talk about taking time to digest something in society. It's like 70 years we've had to digest this whole fast food craze and we still don't know what to do with it. Yet you went to technology. Connect the dots for me. How is technology, how is the rapid change of entertainment, social media and all of that, why is that where you go when you're thinking about maybe some of the root causes of why we're seeing the health issues in kids today? Sure. Uh, I think if we focus on one at a time, such as food, for instance, uh, the technology that's developed in food production, uh, where we uh, went from a society that in order for us to survive, 84% of the population had to be farmers. So now you look in the United States, what percent of dedicated farmers do we have now? It's less than 8%. Hmm. And yet, not only does it produce enough food for us to survive, but we're in surplus, significant surplus. Uh, the United States feeds significant portions of the world, and we have so much food in our own nation that it's very hard to discipline yourself to not eat too many calories. So in just that one area, 
there's been such a change in the last 80 years that how do we as a society digest the fact that, you know, nearly 75% of our nation changed its, its entire way of making a living. We, if you go back a hundred years, your families were farmers, statistically speaking. And, uh, how much farming do we do now? You know, and so there's been a real break in our connection with our food in the last 70 to 80 years that never existed in all human history. So that's just one example. Um, and, and yet there's probably if you if you break it down into categories, I would say four or five categories where technology has had a significant impact in our daily life that is very similar to that, that has happened so fast, um, the repercussions are quite significant. You know, not only with farming is the volume of food significantly increased, however, the quality of our food has significantly decreased at the exact same time. So, and, and the effect on our environment, our, you know, all the things that we, we are talking about on a political level, all of those things happen just from the technologies brought into one aspect of, of our society. So this makes it seem like there's a lot of things out of our control. Society's moving rapidly, the food supply is changing, we're no longer farmers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And yet we have a lot that we can control, right? Not every kid is obese. Not, you know, not, not every kid has health issues. So there are things we can do to enable health in our kids. What are those things? I'm thinking about the role of a father and, and maybe it's helping our kids understand food better and where their food comes from. We, you said statistically our, our families previously were farmers. I, I used to go visit when I was growing up my uncle, great uncle technically, Morris out in Nebraska and he had a big fam- you know, a big farm and it was my favorite thing to do as a kid was go out there cuz he would let me drive the tractor and shoot a gun and all that type of stuff that I couldn't do living in the suburbs of Washington DC, but I saw his cattle and his corn and and had a sense that hey, maybe this is where food comes from. Today, we're intentional as a family about trying to get back to maybe the more small farm feel, the the family garden. So my kids' sense of food is, hey, it's dinner time, Jackson, run out into the garden and go get us a couple tomatoes. Hey, uh, Declan, let's go eat some eat some strawberries literally right out of our garden. Now, we're blessed to have a little bit of land to be able to have that 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 garden for families that maybe don't have a small garden or don't have any land or live in a city or live in an apartment or live in the high rises or whatever how can we connect our kids with understanding what is food and what is in food and what serves our body and what doesn't serve our body what's our role as a father how can we help our kids better understand this yeah, that's a that's a tough area. It, it's going to be very individualized. Uh, where we are in in Western North Carolina, there is a lot of uh, small scale farming going on around us, and and a change in our society, kind of a backlash to industrial farming, is this concept of uh, regenerative farming and and people taking that even further and going into homesteading and and things like that. I don't think that that's going to be 
something that is um, for all of us. And, and it, it's going to be an individual choice. I think uh, there's a lot there's a lot of life commitments that have to be made with something like that. I would say on a smaller scale, uh, when you talk about gardening or growing some plants, I mean, my family has a, a very small garden. We, we actually only grow in pots. Um, even though we have enough in our yard, we could really till up some land and, and put a bigger garden in there. We've chosen to keep it very low maintenance and we grow uh, tomatoes, peppers, uh, various other foods in pots, not because it's cost effective and saves our family money. In fact, it's quite the opposite. I'm, I'm sure it costs us more to do that. But uh, we do it, one, to just see bringing in new life and growth, I think, has a lot of therapeutic uh, benefit for us humans. Um, and two, my kids know the difference between a uh, homegrown tomato and a store-bought tomato. And there's and, a big it, difference. It, yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's just exposing them to, hey, this is quality and this is what you want to look for in your life. Yeah. And so let, I, I want to bring up another idea. And I love that. First of all, thank you for sharing that because I think it's easy for us to think and and maybe easy for the listeners to think, oh, I don't have 10 acres of land or, oh, I don't have five acres of land or three or whatever. How am I going to actually grow food? And you're like, nah, bro, you just put some stuff in a pot and it put some, put some soil in there, water it, put it out in the sunlight and grow. I think that's awesome. Put it on a windowsill if you need to, right? So I think the idea that you have to have a lot of land to begin to grow a little bit of your own food is a, is a false idea. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. But um, I think another aspect for me that I want to chime in on this, and I want to phrase it with, I've seen it go bad. So I think you can do this with extreme and it, and it turn into an unhealthy situation, whether it be, uh, you know, eating disorders or, um, just, you know, extreme legalism or whatever. But I think that, you know, raising our kids to read the labels on the food that they eat and start to pay attention. Hey, did you look and see how much sugar's in that? Hey, did you see if that one's got added sugar or it's just, if it's just natural, you know? And I think, oh, did you look at the ingredients? Are there a bunch of words in there that you can't pronounce? Is there a, a lot of things in, in the ingredients? That, that you don't understand what they are. And I think we can begin to model that to our kids as we shop in a more traditional fashion for food at the grocery store, um, et cetera. And that's definitely one of the things that we've done with our family and our kids. And some of our kids really take to that and some of our kids don't. But I think uh, for me, as I try to mitigate and avoid this um, extremism of creating kids that are so hyper-focused on ingredients and they have to eat this perfectly clean diet all the time is to intentionally have some splurges, you know, every now and then, Hey, let's go get, uh, you know, slushies at the sunset slush where we know there's absolutely zero, uh, health benefit from doing that. But I think at least for me personally, my approach is to try to give them that, that balanced, um, do y'all, do y'all see, I mean, you, I know as a doctor probably sees extremes, but either one of y'all want to chime in on that, that concept or that idea. Yeah. I think Perry, uh, you bring up a point where 
going to any extreme is, is a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, I think letting your children become informed consumers is always wise. Uh, I, you know, we, we've talked already at length about, you know, several trends and, and things like that. But I think when, um, when you talk about specifically obesity, it, it really does come down to a, a, a basic framework of calories coming in versus calories going out. It, it is when you simplify it that simple. However, you know, there's a lot of factors as far as quality of calories or quality of nutrition and things like that. And you can get into a lot of nuances. Um, we, you talked about as, as a father, how do I empower my children? Well, we were fortunate enough to live in a, a nation that is free in a lot of ways. And one of them is, is by the fact that we use capitalism as our means of a, you know, economy and, and capitalism has significant downsides. Um, it, it worships its own triune God of bigger, faster, cheaper, uh, will always be, you know, uh, the, the push towards something. However, what capitalism does have in its favor is the fact that I vote every single time I purchase something. So in yeah. Fact, yeah. Purchasing is a really important aspect of living in a capitalist society where that's our big benefit. You know, my, for instance, the meat that we eat in our house is sourced from a local farm. It, we drive out there on Fridays as a family, oftentimes, and we speak with the farmer, we see the animals while we're there, you know, so that was a conscious choice on our part and that. That's the beauty of being in a capitalist market that way, where you can choose that, those types of things. Um, I would say if I had to make a list when it comes to things that affect the diet of your children and as a father, how do you influence these? That list would look like the quality of the food that your children eat, the quantity of the food that your children eat. Are they having breakfast? Uh, how picky of an eater are they and how do you get around them being that picky? Are they snacking? And if so, uh, what are they snacking on? And last is, are they drinking water and how much water are they drinking? So that would be kind of the list that I would use to kind of build the framework as a father. How do you guide your children in these areas? Do you have you want to run through those again and maybe just literally give a one sentence? What should we be doing in those areas? Sure. So food quality, uh, we've kind of hit on. I, I think you know you have to remember the battle is in the grocery store. The battle is not at home. If you if you've purchased it, you will eat it. Mm. So yeah. you gotta you gotta fight the battle in the right area to to bring home things that are in a box bag or can that you know are of low quality and they're in your home you've already lost that that battle it's not going to win and so you have to break yourself out of what are called food ruts or habits of hey i tend to always purchase this you know you you have to consciously discipline yourself when you're at at the grocery store and try bringing in better quality into the house um 
breakfast is the most skipped meal of the day and and I could go into the mechanics behind it but it's it's ironically the one meal of the day that does not contribute to obesity hmm. so it's it's funny to live in a nation that is so hyper focused on obesity and yet we're also the nation that tends to skip breakfast and and for various reasons you know we we don't schedule enough time for it in the morning um, there's even like things like seasonal allergies that cause post nasal drip at night. You wake up with a, a stomach full of snot and your stomach just feels bleh. and eating good scrambled eggs does not sound good at that moment. And, uh, <laughs> it, it tends to be skipped. So yeah. there's a lot of, a lot of nuances to each of these. Uh, the picky eater is a, is a tough one. I would say, uh, you know, what we did for our children was, um, first of all, made it a positive thing. So instead of making healthy foods the punishment, you know, or the 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 ice cream being the reward you get, and that it's a hard thing. That is a hard balance. It's not an easy balance to have all of that. But um, we would entertain the idea you know my wife and i go on missions trips to honduras and, and guatemala and we want to take our children with us but we would just frame the problem like listen girls if you can't eat these foods you can't be in honduras and guatemala with us this is what they eat and it you're not going to be able to go with us and we want you to go with us and so we just changed the the framework of it and so it became this kind of fun trying new things because this is what people in other countries eat and we hope to go visit them. Um, Can I interject one thing there before you continue your list? Yeah. Just a resource for listeners and I'll put it in the show notes. It's a book we have used with our kids when they were younger. It's called How to Get Your Kids to Eat Great and Love It by Dr. Christine Wood. And it's got some great tangible tricks and strategies and, and ways to sort of get them past that. But I would say for us, it's been as much of a mindset as anything. I remember I was talking to some family friends and they were talking about their kids being picky eaters and how did we, how do we deal with it and things like that. And I just said, look, we just don't let our kids be picky. Like, what, what do you mean by that? It was just the mindset. Like I just won't handle a picky eater. Like you're either going to eat it or yeah. we're going to help you get to the you, – you might not love broccoli as a four-year-old, but you're going to eat it. We're going to figure out how to get you to eat it and we just don't allow it. You know, we just don't allow you to have a picky eater where, well, I have to make this kind of food for Jackson and this kind of food for Ben, but Declan doesn't like this. And it's like, no, like here's the meal that we made as a family and we're all just going to eat this meal as a family, you know, and that might yeah. sound harsh, that, but, but like that's kind of our mindset. And so now it's not like a totalitarian, you know, just totally abusing our kids with food. We look for strategies and ways of easing foods into their diet and adjusting their palate, but it can be done. I think is my encouragement to men is if you adopt that mindset, it can be done. Yeah. And there, there are some uh, tricky nuances to that too. Like one of our daughters has a, uh, a sensory processing disorder where the texture of certain things just freak her out, Yeah, you know? And so it's it it's one of those things of learning how to to get past that. And and when we did that is another idea is to have the children be the ones in charge of uh, 
of making smoothies. So we use frozen fruits from the grocery store as kind of the base. Uh, we use like um, coconut water or other things as kind of the liquid. And then um, we put broccoli, we put kale, we'll put carrots. We put things that if, if someone doesn't like that food, we put it into the smoothie and their body is experiencing the taste of, say, broccoli, even though it's in a much better setting for them, they are beginning to process that. Their taste buds are beginning to process it. Their brain is beginning to process it. And there's also this uh, mental aspect of, see, you can eat broccoli and it's, yeah. it's not that bad. So That's awesome. Yeah. There are solutions. All right. Sorry to interrupt. Keep, uh, yeah, keep going through maybe some of that checklist of, of things that we need to be conscious of as fathers. The, the last two would be snacking. And believe it or not, snacking is one of the healthiest things you can do for your body. But this is where the discipline comes in. The snack needs to be a fruit or vegetable. It's really not a good habit to um, get into the dry snacking goods, whether it be salty, sugary, whatever, you know, it, it's a lot easier to just hand, um, you know, when, when kids are little and you're giving them some Cheerios in the backseat of the car, I mean, there, there's certain scenarios, but in general, when they're asking for something to eat in between meals, that's when you want to start encouraging, okay, well, let me slice up some apple for you. Let me, let me get you to where you're eating a fruit or vegetable. And physiologically, that's in alignment with how our body is designed. And, and so snacks really should be a fibrous type of snack. And then uh, lastly is water. And we are just hugely deficit in our amount of water we drink. It's so ironic because we all live with indoor plumbing. And you would think it's so simple, but it's actually as a result of being in indoor plumbing, that it short circuits uh, our habits and we are not in a habit of drinking enough water. So, And that's gold right there. I appreciate that. A lot of this, you know, the, the food aspect of things is, is sort of in alignment and a potential solution to the obesity epidemic, which we've talked a lot about. Let me step back and just sort of ask this question big picture, and maybe this should have been one of the first questions we ask, which is, what would you say is the biggest threat to the health of our kids today? Yeah, speaking physical health, I would say it is obesity. Uh, it, it Obesity sets the stage for long-term weight problems. Uh, and, and that is because at, our body is designed to gain weight. There's nothing in your genetic coding for you to lose weight. Your body is about survival. It doesn't care about if you look slim, trim for the beach. So it's, uh, it's never going to work with you in losing weight because from the body's perspective, that is a loss of potential uh, stability or um, resiliency for the future. It, you can think of it in terms of your own finances. The body looks at adipose cells, fat cells, the same way you look at your bank account. And, uh, you know, well, my bank account has 
$15,000 in it. Oh my gosh, I just, I just have too much money in my bank account. I really need to offload some of that because <laughs> it's affecting the way I approach my life. You know, that, that kind of thing is not our natural inclination and neither is your body. So it's not ever going to work with you for weight loss. The best strategy is to not become obese in the first place. That's the best strategy. Um, and then the being overweight leads to diabetes, but also it joint and back problems, which then limits your ability to exercise in the future, which only vastly promotes more weight gain. So it's it really becomes a, uh, a downward spiral. So I would definitely say obesity in that case. And one thing I would say, let's jump back to um, to to talk about that obesity one of the things you talked about to make sure with our kids uh, was quantity, but you didn't really tease that one out a little bit. So maybe some of the listeners might not know, well, what's a good caloric intake? And I know you said it's it's all about the balance, calories in versus calories out. And as we as fathers are you know striving to set our kids up for success, I mean, is that so uh, individualized or is there kind of a range? Okay, our kids should be exercising getting activity X amount of hours a day, and they should be having X amount of calories a day. Uh, talk to us about the quantity real quick, because we can just loop back to that. That's a really good question. I I personally am not a big fan of calorie counting. Okay, um, I feel like it just takes the joy out of one of the most joyful things we have in our day, and that's eating food. You know, yeah. and it, it should be a joyful thing, a pleasurable thing, and a, a time of fellowship, not a time of sitting down with a pen and paper or, or mentally calculating. But yeah. uh, w- the problem is, is a lot of our foods are very calorie dense. Um, and, you know, historically, eating meat was a rare privilege. It's very energy dense. Um, If you're going to have a high meat diet, you're going to, in general, have to eat less food in order to balance out that caloric intake because it's very high in calorie. Um, You know, so there's just, it's just looking at how calorie dense is the foods that you tend to eat and just mentally being aware, hey, if I'm going to have mashed potatoes, the volume of that is is going to matter, and so um, I would say that that's that's the important thing is uh, uh, balancing that out. Um, along with that is the healthy habits of how we eat. You know, you always hear about chewing your food, and 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 there is a lot of research behind that. But I would say the biggest thing that chewing your food thoroughly does is it slows the pace in which you take in the food because one of the physiologic problems we have is that there is a time delay between um, eating food and feeling full. And that time delay is fairly significant. It's like five to seven minutes. So if you, during that five to seven minutes, are wolfing down more food, you don't feel full. And yet you're overstretching your stomach. You are overfilling. And uh, that process stretches the stomach and leads down the line to much more obesity problems because you were wolfing down your food. So Yeah. Let's talk about the other side of the coin then. 
we talk about calories in versus calories out. We want to control the calories in for sure, but what should we be thinking about as fathers in terms of empowering our kids to move their bodies and exercise? How can, how can we get them to do it in a healthy, life-giving way that meets their need for exercise? That kind of goes back to a couple things we talked about earlier. One, the technology of entertainment, and we just have so much entertainment options today, whether it be TV, your your iPad, your video game. There are so many entertainment and generally entertainment is not physically active. So that's an aspect of discipline we have to bring into our life. But I would say the the research is behind the best way to get your child exercising is to be thinking of a sport. Um, Of course, there's extremes on that too. You can go overly extreme, but it needs to be something the child loves. And and generally speaking, if you love it, they'll naturally kind of tend towards that. But the reason sports are so important is that you train for that sport. You practice for that sport. There's, if you just say, hey, we, we, as a family, we're going to, get up in the morning and, and do 30 pushups and run two and a half miles together. And I mean, if it's just purely exercise for exercise's sake, it's kind of a drag, to be honest. I mean, as an adult, we can discipline ourselves for that, but a child isn't going to be motivated for that yes. at all. But to be thinking of their three or four best friends that also play soccer, play football, go swimming, whatever the sport is, that motivates them to be much more uh, inclined to exercise a lot more. Question I'm curious your answer on, especially as a DO, when is it appropriate to introduce weight-bearing strength training for a child? I have a 13-year-old and he's wanting to lift more weights with me in the garage. I've got a a bunch of weights and do a bunch of CrossFit type stuff. Is there an age? Is there a developmental stage? What, you know, what, what should we be thinking about with our kids in terms of that aspect of their physical fitness? That's a really good question. And it it really is about um, development of puberty. Uh, Before puberty sets in, it's generally agreed upon, not a good idea to be uh, weight training type of exercise, uh, at least not to any to, to any extremes where you're pushing towards your maximum. Uh, the growth plates are still uh, very separated at that time, and especially for males, without the testosterone development, the density of the bone, the density of the muscles, it's just not it's not a good place to be pushing that before puberty. As puberty is progressing, which is usually, you know, between ages 12 and 18 for for boys, um, you know, it's a it's an incremental increase starting out lightly, working your way up and uh, teaching them the proper techniques so they're not pushing themselves too hard in that and damaging themselves, learning the standard, you know, one day on one day of rest, you know, that, that mode in which you, you do it properly, but age wise, definitely puberty. 
maybe as we sort of wrap up this conversation, we can talk a little bit about mental health as well. Uh, we touched on it earlier. I'm trying to think of what other aspects of health we need to be conscious of as parents, as fathers, in terms of stewarding our kids well, control, helping to control what, what they put into their bodies, helping them to exercise. But you've touched on the technology piece. They're exposed to so many things now with the entertainment you suggested, social media, all of that. So so maybe talk a little bit about that aspect of things, what you're seeing, what you're seeing in your own practice, what contributes to some of the mental health issues that we're dealing with, and what we can do as fathers, uh, fathers to help our kids be well-adjusted mentally as they're growing into adulthood. Yeah, that, that's a huge area. Uh, I think foundationally, you need to look at the fact that uh, I, I do approach medicine and I approach everything from a Christian worldview. So human beings made in the image of the living God are uh, body, mind, slash soul, and spirit. We're, we're three in one, just as our creator is. And you can't separate out any one of those from the other, they all influence each other. Um, and so the mind is greatly influenced by your physical health or your spiritual health. So to, to leave out the fact that, you know, how, how do I encourage fathers who have no spiritual faith to increase the mental health of their children is like leaving out a huge aspect of just the design of their child. I, I think you're just ignoring a massive portion of that. So, so I feel like a, a spiritual foundation is absolutely critical. You're, you're not going to have mental health without a spiritual foundation. Um, and then two, I think it, it does come back to entertainment um, of just be careful of the amount and the quality of the entertainment you bring in to your home and you allow into your home, you know, do you, there's always the concept of we've invited these influences into our home and, and for our children to digest and um, developing discipline in that area is absolutely critical. I, I always joke about the, patient that came to me because of his insomnia and he just is not able to fall asleep well. His mind keeps going all over the place and uh, he's filled with anxiety and fear. And he comes in wearing a, a t-shirt of some, you know, zombie with his face being melted off his body. And I'm just like, well, there might be some things you're putting in that is affecting your sleep, you know? Um, so, you know, TV shows like the walking dead for, I think any human being is not a healthy choice, but especially children, um, you know, is just not wise. Um, and, you know, developing good habits for sleep. Your mind is real, you know, your brain houses your mind. If your brain is not healthy, your mind is going to have a really tough time doing what it's supposed to do. So, Sleep is probably the one of the most critical pieces for brain health and water intake is right along with it. So between sleep and water, that's the physical side of helping your mind. And then you have the spiritual side that's helping your mind. And then you have your own 
character that is within your mind? What is your character? What is your own personal uh, discipline level, your ethics, your character as a man? Uh, that is your own mental health. And so that is such a huge area to talk about. But um, uh, hopefully I, I hit on a couple areas for you there. Yeah, that's awesome. Is there a tangible, um, <clears throat> is there a tangible like measuring device for water? I know we all hear eight hours of sleep and and kids need a little bit more than that, you know, as their brains are developing. So maybe, maybe give us a couple of just tangible points of what's a, what's a good standard of sleep for kids and what's a good standard of water intake for kids. If, if there's, you know, people that don't know those exact things to aspire or, or strive for. And how the heck do you get your kids to drink water? Some, you know, there's probably people out there like, man, my kid won't drink water. And that maybe that goes back to Brett's idea that, well, sorry, we just don't let them, we don't let them acquire a taste for cola. Well, but, that's, you know, for, yeah, this is an area where I've fallen short. Well, we don't let them just drink cola, but I cannot right. get Jackson to drink enough. You, you know, they'll go all day long and they'll get in the car after school and they're like, I have a headache. Well, have you drank any water today? No. Well, why don't you just like, you have a water bottle, just drink water. You know, how do you, how do you get them to do it? That's a good question, Perry. Yeah, I, I think uh, several things. So first, Perry, the amount, I think an easy one to go by is to use the eight ounce rule. So for every uh, year of life, you add on another eight ounces of water intake per day. So a one-year-old should have eight ounces of water a day, a two-year-old, 16 ounces, and so on, up until about... Uh, uh, nine years old, and they're drinking at that time about two liters of water, or uh, you know, seventy-two ounces of water a day, is is a good framework to to go off of for the younger kids. Uh, it goes up even more, um, you know, as adults, uh, women should be drinking about uh, between two to three and a half liters of water a day and men should be drinking between three and four and a half liters of water a day. So we really need to be drinking a lot more water. I think a couple tips on that one is quality of your water. Some water just tastes bad, you know, yeah. invest as a family in a really good water filter. I mean, I, I'm not a fan of the inline in piping water filters per se, just because it becomes very absent-minded when you when you take the time to fill a water filter and you you see it visibly on the countertop or something like that, it stands out to you. It reminds you, oh yeah, I need to drink my water. That's a it's a visible reminder. But um, and along with that, room temperature water is much more hydrating than cold water, and I could talk more about that too. But good tasting water is a good place to start. Uh, what we did for my girls is we bought three little water pitchers from uh, Dollar General, DG. Uh, <laughs> and, of course, they had three different colors to the top. So each girl knew which one was theirs. And we let it be a, a positive, competitive thing. So the night before, we we filled the pitcher with the amount of water that they should drink the next day. And there you have it. Your pitcher of water is sitting on the counter. When you finish your pitcher of water for today, then you can have some juice, you know, until then you haven't taken your water intake, which is more important than your juice intake. And you just 
And so then it kind of became a positive competitive thing of, you know, hey, uh, Amelia finished hers first today. That's she's she's always last, you know, but today she's first. And it, it just kind of became a fun thing. We don't do that, of course, anymore. But their framework for how much water they should take in uh, has been set. Um, and it is good to get the vast majority of your water intake early in the day. So um, so that's another piece to it, too. Good stuff, Perry. As we wrap this up, I'm going to kick it back to you because I can't tease something at the beginning of an episode and then forget to come back to it. How are you guys, uh, how are you handling food and exercise and health and nutrition with all of your travels? And, you know, maybe you have some tangible, practical things to help share that are working for you guys, or maybe you guys are falling short in this, but uh, I'm curious to hear how things have been going for you the past month or so. Yeah. Thanks for looping back around on that. Uh, So when we travel, uh, even if it's just like, you know, a short travel, like five hours to the beach, you know, and oftentimes if we can, we plan to eat a meal and then jump in the car and get on the road. So that's what we did as we were driving home yesterday, we ate lunch and then we hopped in the car and we were home before supper time. And that helps. Now the kids still want snacks, but we bring, we bring healthy snacks. We bring fruits, vegetables, you know, things like that for the kids to snack on in the car. And now we, we do not have this mastered yet. There was definitely a bag of Ruffles potato chips in the mix yesterday. Full disclosure. Now, (laughs) also full disclosure, it was the minimum of the evils because if you look at uh, Ruffles potato chips, they only have three ingredients and it's oil, salt, and potatoes. So there is that. Okay. But anyway, um, Another thing that we do, if we catch ourselves traveling during a time of meals, we do not go to a fast food restaurant. We drive to a grocery store. We get out. It gives all the kids a chance to stretch their legs, to walk around. And we walk through the grocery store and buy what we would normally buy at home for lunch and either um, eat it outside, you know, uh, or pile back into the van or the vehicle or whatever. And prepare that, you know, whoever's sitting shotgun, uh, will kind of prepare the meals and we'll, that'll be deli meat, you know, or, uh, different things like that, fruits, veggies, uh, et cetera. And that's how we eat on the road. Um, we do let the kids have, you know, like granola bars and stuff, but we try to be real particular about which ones, uh, we really like the Laura bars a lot because those are very minimal ingredients. Um, usually they have anywhere from three to six ingredients and most of the time you can, you can pronounce them all, you know, you know, what's in there. Um, but that's a little bit about what we do when we're traveling, uh, in terms of eating and then health wise, one of the things I'm going to instigate on, we're about to go on a big, long adventure, um, many, you know, multiple weeks long traveling. And I haven't done this before. And I'm going to instigate with my kids kind of a daily uh, push up, you know, push up, sit up, squat challenge. And I think what we'll do is instead of it all be the exact same number for every individual, I think we'll, I'm going to scale it. So, you know, my 15 year old is not going to have the same amount of push ups as, you know, my 10 year old. Um, but I think that's what we're going to do moving forwards. And then when we've been at the coast uh, these last few weeks, um, there's a trail system right beside the neighborhood uh, that we live in down there. And we 
every single day will go for a trail run or a bike ride or a walk or whatever. And so that's been one of the things that's been really nice about being there at the coast in Little River is that that trail system is, is we don't, it's so easy. I mean, we, we literally go to the garage, get the kids bikes, get the leash, loop it around the dog's neck and walk out of the neighborhood. You know, there's a little trail that goes through the woods that gets to this kind of, it's a little park, you know, uh, where the gate closes at night, et cetera, but it's walking trails and, and all that. So that's how we've kind of done health, um, at the coast is to be active moving every day. And then that's also a little insight as to how we try to make healthy choices with our food intake as we travel. I, I think the key is there are solutions and the key is yeah. uh, intentionality. And that's really, that was sort of my hope for this episode. And I think as we think about faithful fatherhood and as we think about the responsibility of stewarding our kids well, we think about it in aspects of stewarding their character. We think about it in terms of stewarding their 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 spiritual growth, lifting them up, empowering them to be successful in life, being good fathers, playing with them, doing all of the things that we talk about on this podcast. And yet there's a very real responsibility as well to steward their health well, because especially when they're younger, they have no control. They have no control over any of it. They're completely at the mercy of their mommy and their dad to put food on the table, to put, you know, to feed them, to make sure that they stay alive. So there's a responsibility there. And as they grow older, you know, my, my mindset certainly is I make decisions for them when they're younger. But I want to do it in such a way that they can then choose to make good decisions for themselves as they get older. And so that's certainly something at the at the forefront, really, of my mind. It's a health is a, a huge value for us and our family. And it's something I take very seriously. So Dr. Kramer, I appreciate you for sharing real wisdom and insight and, and really good practical how-tos and and food for thought, no pun intended, for us to, to digest. So uh, as we wrap up this episode, I'll just sort of give you the last word, Dr. Kramer, any final thoughts for men trying to, trying to steward the health of their kids well as we wrap up this episode of the Faithful Fatherhood Podcast? Brad, thank you so much. I really, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said intentionality, being intentional about it. And in the end, the responsibility comes to you as a father and your children are going to mimic what you do. If you don't exercise, chances are your kids aren't going to exercise. If uh, if you succumb to bad health habits, smoking, whatever, it's going to impact your children. Uh, There's just no way to get out of that responsibility. And in the end, it is your responsibility, not only for yourself, but more importantly, for your own children. And I just, my prayer is that we would not hear this and feel uh, attacked, criticized, convicted in it, um, but rather see the opportunity, right? We We want to work in grace and mercy and recognize that we all fall short. We have all fallen short. I've eaten unhealthy foods in front of my kids uh, and so forth. And yet we can always get better tomorrow. We can model it for them better tomorrow. We can repent, we can move forward and we can uh, see it as an opportunity 
to, to improve in this area of fatherhood, which is really what we're all striving for, little by little, day by day, improve as we can in this area of fatherhood. So thank you for that, Perry, as always. And uh, hopefully you guys have been blessed by this two-part series on health. And we will look forward to talking with you again on the next episode of the Faithful Fatherhood Podcast. Take care, everyone. Okay.